Coming up, IAPA Expo 2021 is over and we're recapping some of the largest takeaways, plus a little update on Thanksgiving travel trends. All that and more coming up on this episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. This is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip and I'm joined by my co-host Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, Scott. Hey, Philip. How are you? Well, I am here. I have survived the week of IAPA. Yep, me too. Me too. I'm upright. What you can't see is if you're watching if you're watching this show as opposed to listening to it, what you can't see is that I'm literally propped up. I have a little uh, a little shim behind me keeping me upright. But uh, but yes, survived, survived, and we'll get more into that in in just a moment. We I think we need to cover you know kind of the elephant in the room first, um, things that we've been talking about already, but uh, but important stuff nonetheless. Yes, some quick hits to kind of summarize uh, what is happening this week in the the larger uh, tourism and travel space. So first off, gas prices last month hit their highest level since 2014. The national average for a gallon of gas is $3.41, which is $1.29 more than it was a year ago, which of course is causing Americans to want to drive less. Just 32% of Americans plan to drive for Thanksgiving, down from 35% last year at the height of the pandemic, and 65% in 2019. So it's 32 this year, and it was 65% in 2019. That's according to a survey from GasBuddy. And also in international news, uh, Austrians took to the streets on Saturday to protest the newly announced nationwide lockdown and a plan to make coronavirus vaccines compulsory. And of course, the reason why Australia is doing the, the lockdown is because they have kind of become the epicenter of the newest wave of a winter wave of Delta breakouts. They are averaging 10,000 cases a day in Austria, Czech Republic, and Slovakia each. And uh, case levels are similar in the Netherlands and Belgium. And their uh, nationwide vaccination rate is about 66%. Uh, and for reference, the U.S. is 60 So... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so gas price, gas is high and Americans are going to be traveling a little bit less further, I think. And uh, there's some signs that there might be an upcoming winter surge, uh, according to what's going on there. So I don't know. What do you think, Scott? So no matter how much we protest and no matter how much we want to stomp our feet, we are not, I repeat, not in post-COVID. Um, we are still in it, um, and it is it is very clear. We may be getting frustrated by it. We may be getting angry by it. Trust me, um, I'm ready for it to be either over or moved on or we figure out a way through it, um, but we are not there yet. And, you know, we have said uh, forever, I mean, ever since we uh, started talking about COVID, uh, we've been saying that it's uh, it's a situation where there is not going to be a light switch that's going to all of a sudden turn it off. Because to be honest, it didn't just turn on. Um, mm-hmm. There was there was growth. There was ramp up. It got worse and worse and worse. I think part of the reason that some folks believe that it was it just all of a sudden appeared out of nowhere is because it was hidden for so long in so many different areas. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is once again, and it kind of makes sense, you know, as it gets colder, people are moving back indoors into more uh, cramped, um, yes. less physically distanced or socially mm-hmm. distanced um, environments. So, of course, it's spreading more. There's going to be a bump yeah. and there's going to be a, a winter bump. And I think that's going to be true anywhere that the weather changes, you know. Um, yeah. 
actually here in Florida, it may actually go down because more Floridians go outdoors when the weather starts to get cooler. You know, we stay, we stay in the air conditioning until it gets below, you know, 80. Um, so, which isn't much of the year really. So as it should, yes, exactly. So, uh, and then as far as gas prices go, you know, that, that just makes total sense. I am so jaded when it comes to gas prices because I've been through so many, um, created inflations of gas prices over the years. Um, and it's interesting because they inflate prices based on what could happen, but they don't reduce them based on what could happen. They reduce them on based on what has happened. So, uh, um, hmm. we are also gas dependent in the United States, at least that, you know, pretty much we're at their, uh, at their beck and call. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of what we've been saying, what we've been going through all along. And that is be prepared for local holidays. You know, um, people, people aren't going to travel. Um, people either aren't going to travel or can't travel if it's international. Uh, they're less likely to travel when it comes to driving. And, um, so, you know, again, batten down for another local holiday season. And if there's anything you can do as a, uh, as a, a theme park or attractions owner or, or someone who manages or runs these organizations, don't, don't think that you're going to get a huge influx of folks from out of town, do something to support your locals. Um, as we talked about last show, uh, with the, Mm. the, uh, the Turkey dinner, Thanksgiving to go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanksgiving to go. Um, you know, those kinds of things, it, we need to do it another year because again, yeah. people are not going to, it's unlikely that people are going to be traveling a ton. Yeah. So embrace your locals and, um, make them feel special. You know, now's a great opportunity to rise and elevate above the situation, not react to it. So you can actually be the leader as opposed to the follower. Yeah. And then as far as everything else goes, I think it's the same thing we've been saying since we started the show, which is it's going to be an un equal response. I, I I think overall, I was asked many times about this during IAPA, and I think overall, I don't think any of the attractions are going to be forced to close down, but it's going to be the same thing we've been talking about the entire time. Is There will be different restrictions in different areas and kind of different operating norms in different areas. Uh, for example, Seasons Screamings, which is coming up here in December, which is like the Halloween December trade show, they're requiring proof of vaccination to walk in the door. But at IAPA, um, this past time there was no restrictions whatsoever so it's going to just be like that (laughs) it's just you know it's just going to be like that and it's going to so it's going to be more local as we just said as we have said since we started the show and it's also going to be uh, dependent on where you are but you attractions you should be pros at that by now right (laughs) i just think too much is going to change and just to kind of riff off of what Philip just said, um, it wasn't even consistent at IAPA because, you know, one of the things, if you've ever been to IAPA Expo, you know that there are parties and gatherings that happen outside. And some of the parties did actually require uh, proof of vaccination. And, um, but I, it was interesting because none of them, none of the events that I went to during IAPA required the wearing of masks. They recommended it, but not yeah. require it. Um, but I did go to two different events that did require proof of vaccination. Um, so, you know, the, and, and one of them required it through a specific app. So, you know, it, it's, it's the, the needles all over the place. Um, do what is right for you and, uh, you know, but do something, don't ignore the situation, just do what is right for you and, uh, and hopefully your guests, because again, the last thing we need to do is continue to spread this thing. So, yeah. 
And speaking of doing what is right for your guests, uh, our next story is a Q&A with the (laughs) Q&A with the new CEO of Chuck E. Cheese. So they have a new CEO and he's talking all about uh, what they are going to do for their guests for their specific situation. And, you know, it was an an interesting-ish interview. Um, It's difficult with some of these, you know, because new, especially new CEOs, as, as, as Scott knows, they tend to have these like talking points. Anyone on the executive team, they, they're they kind of trained. So we definitely, it's very talking pointy. But some of the highlights I wanted to pull out is, A, they're moving over to more ordering in-store and ordering delivery and a brand new loyalty program and cashless payment processing, like all that technology that we've been talking about, kind of agnosium of kind of making it easier for the guests to order and kind of removing some of those order positions from the equation. And number two, they're going to really lean into seasonal offerings. One of the core pillars of our new strategy is, was to celebrate the four seasons of fun. So of course, kind of the same as the theme park model, doing the four seasons, seasonal activations, um, which I'm just excited to see their Halloween stuff. That's all I care about. So um, of course. <laughs> and and uh, the, the last big takeaway I thought was, was very interesting, kind of following the, the Disney model here, which is that they're kind of, they're taking their IPs and they're trying to take them home or allow them opportunities for them to encounter it outside of the store. So he said, we're on YouTube Kids now with all of our content. During the pandemic, we dropped two albums that you can find on iTunes and Spotify as well. And for the first time ever, we took the characters outside the four walls. We did a five city music tour and it was spectacular. So, you know, this this ties into so very many things that that I know Philip and I have said over and over again in different stories about different um about different companies. Here is in essence the the largest family entertainment center chain, I think that's fair to say, at least in the United States. Um here's a here's a this is the ultimate in retailtainment. I mean, this is here's an opportunity for, you know, not only let you know, not only all of the you can order and take it home. That's great. That seemed I think kind of they should have already been doing that already. I yeah, I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, I, you you couldn't. There was no Twitter. There was no pizza to go from Chuck E. Cheese. I didn't know that. Um, but uh, but the idea of you know seasonal it it requires people to come for t- at least four times a year, yeah. um, as opposed to just on little Tommy's birthday. You know, because um, you know little Tommy wants to see the bear sing to them and then you know go play video games. Um, so it gives them it gives families a reason to come at least four times a year. And since they yeah. can't do a season pass program, um, I think that makes total sense. I mean, I am I, I have been preaching for years uh, through seminars, through my podcast, through this podcast. If you are uh, the owner of any attraction and you're not doing something that is a seasonal event, you are leaving money on the table. You are not giving people yeah. a reason to return at least four times a year. So, yes, they're embracing that. And I love it. Um, what I do think is interesting is taking the uh, take taking the show on the road, so to speak, um, getting outside of the model. So if and and you know obviously Chuck E. Cheese is not is not a tiny corporation; it is large. But if it is worth the while of a pizza place with a gigantic, really cool game room, if it's worthwhile for them to drop two albums during a pandemic and then go out and do a road show to promote their stuff. There's got to be something there. Yes. There's got to be something there. So, you know, we did a a while back, we spent a great deal of time talking about creating your own IP, creating your own, um, your own branding for not just 
the type font and the, the colors that you use in your logos, but also the, the feeling and the entertainment content that you want to present to uh, your your clients, to your your customers. And this is this is great. I mean, this is this is the Disney model from day one. You know, yes. Disney Disney has always been multi-layered and it's always been about you can get the 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 Disney toys, you can get the Disney music, you can get the Disney eventually when video came out, you could get the Disney movies, you go to Disney parks. Now you can get Disney Plus. Now you can go behind the scenes, beyond the the universe to the ultimate Disney experience. Um so there's there's a way there's a touch point for every single demographic level um with with Disney and they haven't quite, in my opinion, they haven't quite captured the food side as well as Universal did with with Harry yeah. Potter. But they're still trying, and and they're coming up with unique stuff. Um, so again, I, I think that this just makes sense. And now there are enough tools, be it online or you know, uh, you don't have to press you don't have to press vinyl anymore to put out a soundtrack. You can do it on iTunes and Spotify, and it was probably more targeted for your audience anyway. So. Yeah. You know, the tools are there to continue to expand. Don't think that you are too small to do this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And on that point, we have talked about other examples too. Uh, you know, Knotts did their uh, Spotify playlist last year and they did the spooky sounds thing. And then, of course, Scarehouse in Pittsburgh, you know, the Scarehouse on Attraction, they did their 20 Years of Fear album, which they did just like this. They released it in the same digital format as well as physical albums that they had uh, kind of like for specialty items. Uh, and, but yeah, just a really good, um, honing in on, I think the, the three things we've been talking about, you know, give guests a reason to come back for unique in-person experiences. They can't get other places, which is a seasonal thing. And then it's removing friction, which is the technology cashless, all that kind of stuff, you know, and then it is the extension of the brand, you know, can you take something home with you, which is very similar to, you know, everything we, say about souvenirs and that kind of stuff, but it's just thinking of that in another way of engaging outside of your park or your experience with them. Mm -hmm. And generating yeah. brand loyalty as well as revenue when they're not sitting in your restaurant playing your games. Correct. Okay, well, since it was just IAPA week, let's talk a little bit about uh, how that went. IAPA Expo, only in Orlando. Yes. Only in Orlando. So first is the numbers. Now, it was a smaller show this year, even though they kind of tried to pretend that it was not, but it was a smaller show. I'd say about 30% less than it was previously. Uh, but um, they still posted some really large numbers. The total number registered was just over 28,000 attendees with the number of qualified buyers being 21,000 and uh, the total exhibiting companies being 878. So very, still a very large show. Um, m many, many less exhibitors, I think, than than it. Very clear that there was that there was space on the show floor. Um, very clear there was a lot of people missing. Uh, I'm not sure. I really felt like there were that many people there at any, you know. But that that's 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 the five day. That's the total number registered, right? That's not the amount of people who actually physically showed up. Which is one of the things that I thought was one of the things that I thought was most interesting this year is. Um, there were people coming, but from significantly shorter stays. Um, yes. I'm used to people coming for the entire week, and I know many, many, well, many of my clients, uh, many of my cohorts um, were coming only for one or two days. I was I was foolish, and I was there the whole week. Um, but uh, uh, so I noticed that, the, that there was, I think part of the reason that we 
didn't see a ton of people or why it seemed like a, a less attended show is because they weren't all there at the same time. Secondly, I think IAPA did a really smart thing. I think they utilized the, the space on the showroom floor that was either not sold to vendors or, well, was not sold. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, they actually they actually did curtain off, I think it was two to four rows um, on yeah. either side of the trade show floor. And there were significantly more um, designated seating areas and yeah. they had more... Like networking areas, patches. Yep. And they had there more designated EDU food areas. Talk on the show floor. Yeah. Yep, they had, more, they had more designated food areas. So it was not, it did not appear to be dead simply because there weren't, um, there weren't exhibiting companies in the in those spaces. It kept everything going. From a an attendee standpoint, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I thought the lines mm -hmm. were significantly less. I thought that I never felt out of control and shoulder to shoulder. Um, and I was able to schedule meetings because I was able to, to uh, schedule meetings without fear of, oh gosh, what am I missing on the trade show floor? Um, yeah. So... Uh, I, I realize, you know, I'm sure that that IAPA would have liked to have significantly more people registered and more people attend. But at the same time, uh, as a consumer, I uh, I didn't mind it. I quite yeah. enjoyed it. I preferred this experience more. I agree that people were there on shorter stays as well, and I think that it's um, the same problem that that you know, like Disney and everyone is ha kind of having with that, like um, the conflict between demand and and what you're able to give from a guest experience with them you know it I, what i don't like is when iapa is just completely too too much and you can't get anything done because right. it, it takes you know 45 minutes to wait in line to get a sandwich you know and you can't get parking there's no parking and you have you know it's, it's when, when, it, when it gets that crazy when it's like music festival level crazy mm -hmm. you know then then it's it's a problem but th this was a nice manageable level for everything, you know, you 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 could you could function, you could see people. There was still never never any dull moment. It was all it was still constant. It was just not a frantic constant. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And some more highlights. So for their gift kits, a world five k run, they had three hundred and seventy eight runners this year, and they doubled the donations from two thousand nineteen. So they were sixty thousand this year, which is great. You know, great that they had kind of. Uh, more involved people this year than in 2019. Yeah, and and Give Kids the World had a pretty pretty wonderful presence throughout the event, and mm -hmm. it, it's one of those. It's a great opportunity for people in the industry to give back to kids who want to enjoy what we offer and may not have the opportunity um, either because of their health or, or or health and financial challenges simultaneously. And of course, one of the things IAPA is known for is they have great events that are kind of scattered throughout the show. They have an opening reception. They have the GM and owners talk, the breakfast. They have lunch and learns. They have EDU tours. They have so they have some main pillar events, right? And then they have education. They just they have a good amount of activities going on. And this year's GM and owners breakfast was with the Cedar Fair CEO, and he did kind of like a five lessons five top lessons that Cedar Fair has learned uh, over the pandemic. Um, <laughs> so uh, again, I feel like it's the same thing we've been talking about since the start of the I was just going to say, just, just listen just listen to previous episodes and you'll get all five yeah. of them. Um, yeah, so it was like pivot and it was thinking about retooling for future proofing, um, blah, 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 making guests and associate experiences a top priority, blah, 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 community partnerships. We talked about all those. I think the most interesting one was his number three, 
which was to leverage scale while focusing on high value areas. This included establishing new capabilities, strengthening key functions, and continuing to build digital interactions with guests. Key points included standardizing what and how the company buys, as well as building and deploying best-in-class marketing. Uh, and that's kind of something that's similar to what Disney mentioned on their earnings call with the whole snafu thing about kind of like standardizing uh their menus and reducing quantities and subbing out, doing substitutions, but having stronger supplier networks basically to be able to leverage price. Um, but yeah, this is another one of those things where it wasn't really that uh, detailed, but this was the most interesting one that I thought, which kind of um, alluded to changing relationships, whether that be relationships of a you know product or relationships with creative, but this was kind of the one that kind of alluded to that kind of thing. Well, and it it also addresses, I think, the 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 challenge that the two challenges that were pretty much a buzz across the entire trade show, and that was uh, the two challenges were staffing and supply chain. So yes. this mm-hmm. is this is clearly addressing the the supply chain side of that, uh, finding new options and um, staffing. This one didn't particularly address staffing, but nobody wants to admit they're having trouble staffing. But everyone I talked to said it'd be great if we could get this fully staffed so so that's an ongoing challenge yeah it's an ongoing challenge yep so big and news of course uh, yeah big mm-hmm. news that, that came out yes uh, there were several there were several press announcements um and one of i think probably one of the most i don't, I don't know whether i'd say impactful but certainly one of the most talked about was um rws has now acquired uh jra um, and as we all know, RWS is known for acquiring larger companies to help them expand and become uh, more and more, uh, well, more and more of a mogul. And um, so it was it was interesting. Um, I think there were very mixed reactions to this. Um, I think that it is a very, very wise move for RWS, um, as long as, in my opinion, they make sure that JRA stays JRA. And doesn't get lost in the RWS monumental growth package. Um, now we all know that when a company is acquired, there's always going to be some changes. They don't happen right away. But uh, but I think this is, I think this could potentially be a good thing for RWS as long as they handle it correctly. And again, I am not a big business dude. Um, I've just seen these kinds of things work and not work throughout my career. And, and I'm hoping, I know Ryan is an incredibly smart guy and I've known Ryan for many, many years and he is, uh, he seems like he's going into this with the right attitude. I'm curious to see how it pans out. Yeah. I think that that will be the key is the execution. And what I was going to say is, uh, I interviewed the, uh, Impark publishers about their takeaways and the Impark magazine editor, Judy Rubin, she mentioned about how a theme she's kind of been seeing this year is that kind of theme of partnerships, collaboration, and consolidation, of which this is one of them. And I guess what I would say is I kind of think it's a little bit like a life cycle. Like, this is normal, and I don't know. This is how it goes. Everything is a pendulum. And we saw, you, you see companies get together and coalesce and then you see them potentially burn out or unless they can reinvent themselves, which is what Scott just alluded to. And at the same time, I see a lot of new entrepreneurs in the space. I saw some, a lot of first year vendors at IAPA and smaller people that were just kind of breaking into it. Or, you know, a lot of people that have left, that were displaced 
and that then have decided to become freelancers or go into independent work. And I saw a lot of that as well. So it's not just consolidation, uh, but same thing with Oak Island, right? That's, you know, Oak Island kind of did acquisitions, got too big and kind of couldn't couldn't uh, innovate and couldn't keep it going fast enough uh, to to solidify their growth and so they burned out so we'll see what well, happens and, and part of the reason i toss out the idea of keeping jra jra um even though it's owned by rws is at the same time as we see more and more of these companies coming together and partnering um i've i also talked to more and more um park owners and and park managers who are starting to grow very suspicious of the turnkey providers. Um, Correct. They're yeah. they're much more they're much more likely to work with a boutique style um, and a a smaller company because smaller companies can be a bit more flexible. Now, obviously, I am very biased because I am a sole proprietor, so I can be incredibly flexible um, and and I don't have a ton of overhead, so I can I can give good value. Um, but from what I'm hearing uh, and not involving my company at all. But what I'm hearing is more and more of the the park owners don't necessarily want somebody who comes in and, and does everything for you. Uh, they want to be able to pick and choose. They want to have a little bit more control over, let's just use this company for this part of the project. Let's use this company for this part of the project. Let's use this company for this part of the project. And then they'll hire perhaps even another uh, another company, another outside company to oversee the development. So one company is just project management. So yeah. um, it, it, they yeah. want the Chinese menu is what it boils down to. Yeah, and I've seen that especially with seasonal stuff, which yes. is, of course, my beat. And, and I th I've seen that most pronounced. And uh, to give an example for what Scott just said, because I do have one, um, the new the Christmas event just premiered, of course, at Gaylord Palms. And this year, it is not ice because they still have the same problem, pandemic pivot. They could not get the, the visas required for the sculptors this year either. So they had to create a walkthrough experience again this year. And... Something new, though, that they did this year was the same menu thing you're talking about. So they're, they, they're, they made a, a new division, like a Gaylord Creative Division, basically. I'm calling it Gaylord Creative. They don't call it that. But uh, they, have, they have a Gaylord Creative Division, quote unquote. And that Creative Division, you know, creatively directed the shows. They did the show script writing for their stage shows. And they did the writing and the negotiation with the IP holders, with Warner Brothers to work with. So it's kind of like they they took on all that creative challenge, even down to doing the script writing, and in some cases, hiring some of the performers. And then they partnered with a branch of Cirque, and they partnered with Warner Brothers, and they partnered with fabricators, and they, they brought in partners to do specific tasks, specific areas, like just do the lighting, like they brought in Light Switch to do the lighting design package for the atrium, but still the concept of the show and, you know, is written by them. And for the Cirque show, you know, they brought in Cirque to help with the performers and to help with the execution. But the show writing, the show script, and some of the hiring for the singers was done by their creative team. So and, and most yeah. of the most of the decor and snow factory was was Bimaro Productions as well. Yes. So mm -hmm. so they But the same um, thing, like specific pieces though of the it was right. it's not like it's not like they're saying RWS or uh, Bimaro come in and do all of our Christmas at Gaylord. You right. know, we have a plan. We want you to do specific things and help us with what your specialty is. Right. So they get they they put together their own dream team in their mind, which I think is mm -hmm. that's an option. It, 
is a wise choice. It is an option. I mean, there are some smaller up and coming parks that don't want to think about it and just want to do complete turnkey. But yep. uh, more and more of the the larger parks that I talk to or larger entities that I talk to um, want that freedom. And uh, so um, no matter what you could, no, even though you can do everything, you may not be hired to do everything, I guess, is the thing that is, is important yep. to remember. Yeah. And I guess our, our last pile of announcements that came out from IAPA, the, the running theme for this last pile is, again, what we have been talking about in terms of this year was kind of a reset year and next year is still a little bit of a recovery year. So a lot of the announcements we saw for new rides and attractions were all stuff premiering in the latter half of 2022 and into 2023. So we're, it's, it's following that same timeline that we had been talking about previously with new openings mainly scheduled for 2023 or the, the kind of quarter end of 2022. And uh, Sally announced... Uh, two dark rides and Disneyland announced that they are redoing doing a renovation at Mickey's Toontown and Fun Spot America near Atlanta, Georgia announced they're going to have a new roller coaster. So just a lot of those big announcements. One yeah. of the most yeah. interesting, I think, is Sally Dark Rides is partnering with Daniel's Woodland to actually operate an attraction. So Sally will be providing the the build for it, but Daniel's Woodland, who was a previously was just a manufacturer. I guess has now like pivoted <laughs> to be cheesy, pivoted to being an operator. So they will be operating their first dark ride in partnership with Sally. So, yeah, and you know there was there was the new the new Peppa Pig um, yep announcement, which was really exciting. Uh, th th it was there was a there were a bunch of announcements of new. So don't think that uh, that this this IAPA was doom and gloom. It wasn't. Um, I think probably the most important thing that we all took away from the event was that in-person is still very important. Um, yes. And I think we heard that over and over and over again. You know, a lot of, a lot of companies, and we've reported on many of them here, have, have shifted to include virtual content. And what we are seeing is attendance for those places that are able to open back up Attendance is skyrocketing. This, of course, is going to even out eventually, but it proves that people still want to gather. It is still human nature to come together and have fun in person in the real world. So mm -hmm. um, I thought that was a, a very strong message that came through in pretty much everything at IAPA Expo. I do want to say real fast, I was able to do IAPA Celebrates, um, which was the first time I had seen Galaxy's Edge, and um, boy, was I blown away. It was it was so much fun. I have to say, um, to be able to do Return of the Resistance or Rise of the Resistance, um, like back to back, just walk through and do it again was amazing. Um, but Smuggler's Run is one of the coolest immersive things I've done in a long time. So just a personal God, I had a good time. That's that's enough of that. <laughs> All right, we're out of time anyway. So on behalf of myself, Scott Swenson, with Scott Swenson Creative Development, and my co-host, Philip Hernandez, from Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30. Please share this show with all of your friends and uh, make sure that you're following and listening every week because we always got new stuff. We'll see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.